This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 515 with Megan Hadley. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 515. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Megan Hadley is a nutrition therapist and the owner of Simple Nutrition, a nutrition counseling practice in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the founder of Fork the Food Rules, a membership for people who have decided not to diet. She believes that all bodies are good bodies and that from cake to kale, all foods are good foods. After helping hundreds of clients recover from diet culture, Megan knows that when women think less about food and body and more about what really matters to them, they begin to thrive in all areas of their life. When she's not working, Megan enjoys spending time with her husband and her two daughters, ages eight and four. She loves cooking, traveling, long naps, good wine, and French fries. Megan finds her strength, both personally and professionally, rooted to her deep faith, as she knows she was created to live a life of abundance and to help other women discover and believe that as well. Okay. This was a great conversation. We talk all about things related to food, diet culture, habits around food. We talk about some of my own weird habits around food and where that stems from and how even being real hyper aware like I am of diet culture and what it does to someone to be strongly tied to diet culture, I still have weird food habits. And so Megan was so kind to like, let me walk through some of my own journey in this conversation. And I think you'll find it eye-opening that even when we are really aware of diet culture, and especially as it pertains to the patriarchy, we still can find ourselves being caught up in it when we really don't want to be. So listen in to hear Megan share why she walked away from the pharmaceutical industry to become a registered dietitian in order to have a bigger impact in people's lives. What originally drew her into her work with intuitive eating and health at any size, the difference between an eating disorder, disordered eating, and non-disordered eating, all the tricky and subconscious ways that negative relationships show up with food, what intuitive eating is and how it differs from food plans and programs, how the media breaks our ability to trust our own bodies, how restrictive eating is the number one predictor of overeating, emotional eating, and binge eating behaviors, why comfort foods can be beautiful and affirming and should absolutely be part of your life, what steps to take to start being more intuitive with your eating, 
the truth about BMI and lifespan and longevity, and what kind of freedom comes with choosing not to diet or change your body. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. So as you can imagine, I love diving deep with Megan. I loved everything that she had to say. I think you're going to learn a lot. I think you're going to see some things in yourself that you might want to perhaps improve upon a little bit. Perhaps habits you want to step away from in order to step into habits that might serve you better, especially as we start off a new year, especially as we get the ball rolling, and especially as we really think about the things we really want to commit energy to at this time in our lives. And maybe that's not food and weird food rules. So with all that said, let's go ahead and welcome Megan Hadley to the Shameless Mom Academy. Megan, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This will be fun. I'm excited to connect because we are connected through Angie Trueblood, who shout out to Angie. And you even asked at the beginning, you're like, you must really trust Angie. I said, yes, I do. Angie's connected me with so many amazing women, moms, guests, experts, people who just can come on the show and share expertise and knowledge and wisdom that always adds so much to conversations that many of us are already having, and then also adds to conversations that we need to be having more often. So I'm excited to dig into all of that. Yes, Angie is great and so much fun. Yes. Okay, so I want to just dive right into what is going on in your life right now. So for many months, I felt like I had to give this um, like warning, like, hey, we're recording this in a pandemic in case you didn't know. And now I'm like, I think everybody knows. <laughs> News is out. Right? <laughs> it's not like a short term thing. It's not like, oh, back when we recorded in a pandemic, it's like, oh, no, we're still recording in a pandemic. So tell us a little bit. Still here. Right, exactly. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life right now in this pandemic, in this wild time, beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Oh, my dynamics in my life right now are dynamic. I feel like we are constantly changing and I'm constantly trying to figure out how to be okay with that. I have a husband and I have two girls. One is eight, one is four. And we are constantly trying to juggle work and kids and how to get everybody's needs met as best as possible. And it seems to regularly be in flux. Yes. As far as the stage of life, I feel like the things I'm most excited about is the fact that I have the privilege of getting to figure that out. Not just pandemic time, but I mean, in this life where I've got this business and I've got time to be home with my kids too and navigating how that's going to best serve like my wants and needs and their wants and needs. And it's a headache and exciting at the same time uh, to be able to do that. And so while I'm growing weary of the constant navigation of, you know, childcare and school needs of the current pandemic situation, it is overall, I feel like a pretty big privilege in this stage of life to have like something to figure out, right? To have options. And so I feel like in general, being able to run my own business and be able to be home in some capacity with my kids is a fun thing to kind of figure out what works best for me and what works best for them. Yeah, absolutely. I totally appreciate you pointing out that like we're in flux and we're always in flux. <laughs> this privilege <laughs> yeah. of th- being able to figure things out because I think one of the things that's coming out of this time or that has come out of this time and will continue to be a part of so much as we move forward is our increased ability to adapt. And I think that we all have earned like a ma- huge trophy around adaptability. And I actually did a whole episode on this concept around your adaptability quotient, which is, and now I'm going to forget who did the original work on it. I learned about it through Arlen Hamilton. But your adaptability quotient being like your intelligence quotient and your emotional intelligence quotient, where you grow in adaptability over time, and the more adaptable you can become, the more you can be successful in different areas of your life, and the more you can evolve in different ways. And I feel like there's been nothing like 2020 to increase our adaptability quotient and make us be able to be in flux and, first of all, be okay with unpredictability to some extent, depending on your personality type, and also really build build some skills and confidence around that, like, I can figure this out. Even if it gets harder or weirder or more unpredictable, I can continue to figure it out because I've proven already that I can do that just by surviving to this point in this pandemic. 
Yes. And it's such a unique adaptability. You, I listened to one of your episodes of your podcast where you talked about the fact that how hard it is that we have no definitive endpoint to these situations. Yes. <laughs> and that has been such a growth edge for me. Mm. You know, I feel like I could do a major change and sometimes even get really excited by change for, you know, a definitive time. But, you know, once it got to that place where like, gosh, we have no idea when this is ending. I do think it ratchets up that adaptability and flexibility piece like so much. (laughs) Absolutely. So I want to learn more about your journey into what you're doing right now. So I have to tell you, I get pitched all the time. People who are like, I want to come on your show and talk about nutrition and talk about supplements and talk about this certain diet or program or plan or whatever. And I always say no, like this isn't a nutrition show. And I don't prescribe one thing over another. And that's just not really what we talk about. And when Angie brought your work to my attention, I was like, oh, this is, I actually do want to talk about this. I do want to talk about nutrition and I want to talk about the way that you came into nutrition and the way you came into the work that you're doing because it is different than a lot of what we see around diet culture and prescribing like really specific plans and programs for women. And so, I mean, speaking of adaptability, a lot of your work I think is around people listening inward and adapting to what works best for them. And so can you talk a little bit about your journey to becoming a nutrition therapist after working for years in the pharmaceutical industry, which is fascinating to me, and how is it different than you thought it would be? I did work in the pharmaceutical industry. So this is a second career for me. And I worked for a large pharmaceutical company as a pharmaceutical rep. And the products that I promoted were for high cholesterol, blood pressure, and then eventually type 2 diabetes for blood sugar management. So I was talking to doctors all the time about chronic diseases. And a lot of times doctors would seem so frustrated because they said, well, you know, if patients could do lifestyle change, lifestyle change, lifestyle change. And I had gone back to school to get my master's in nutrition and then my dietetic certification, which is what makes me a registered dietitian. Mm. I thought to myself, gosh, I want to make a bigger impact for folks. I want to help folks with this lifestyle change process that doctors were talking about. And that's really is where I eventually took a very different track. I went through school and actually had my first child, my now eight-year-old, while I was in grad school, I delayed my internship, my supervised practice, which is 1,200 hours of working full-time for free, essentially. You're paying tuition (laughs) during that time, and you get to work in the different aspects of dietetics, all obviously with support from my husband, right? So we still had, you know, a roof over my head and insurance and all these things. So huge, huge, huge support from my husband for me to be able to quit my job in pharmaceutical sales, turn in the car, turn in the cell phone, you know, turn in the flexible job and all of that and went back to school. And while I was in school and while I was in my rotation, actually, more importantly, I had a mentor at that time who actually now still works with me in my practice, Laura Watson. And she introduced me to the concepts of intuitive eating and uh, health at every size. And she had started working with clients that had diagnosed eating disorders. And when I got out of school, I had decided that I was going to start my own practice. And she called me one day because she was not able to take on another client that was a college student who had an eating disorder and wanted to know if I would see her through the summer and that she would help support me in this work if I would give it a try. And my focus of my practice at that time, my dream was to help folks, as we said before, with chronic diseases. And then once I had my own child, I was like, I also want to help moms with child feeding because that had become a struggle for me as well. Mm. And I'd learned a lot from my colleague, Laura, about that. And so I, with like fear, (laughs) took on this college student that she'd asked for me to see. And I felt so invigorated after my first session with her, even though I was terrified that I was going to say or do the wrong thing, or that I wasn't good enough or didn't know enough. And just loved it. And she said, well, I can no longer take on any more clients. So I'm going to keep sending folks to you until you tell me to stop. Mm. And thus the complete and total direction of my practice changed because 
was through the lens of serving folks that had a diagnosed eating disorder that helped me understand more deeply the importance of intuitive eating and health at every size models and how important that they are, not just for folks that have an eating disorder, but really for us as society who want to take care of ourselves as best as we can, especially when we look at it from a holistic standpoint. Oh my gosh, I love this. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. I have always had just so much intrigue and interest around eating disorders and disordered eating. I think I've had a lot of that around me and it's something I've struggled with myself, not in severe ways, but it's definitely been a part of my background and body image, like for many women, body image has been an ongoing issue in my life as well. And so I'm really, really intrigued by work with women and work in the field of eating disorders. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating? Because I don't know. I want you to explain the technicalities between the differences between those two. Yeah. So I think me, as well as a lot of my colleagues who work in this field and specialize in this field would agree that we look at things as a spectrum. So Mm -hmm. an eating disorder where it's more of a mental health component and involves a lot of anxiety and a lot of barrier, it takes on a whole nother element in order to be able to change behavior uh, as it relates. We call it using behaviors, using certain behaviors of 
restriction or a lot of times we think about purging or over-exercising or something like that, uh, the, the mental energy and everything that it takes in order to change those behaviors for, from them being like maladaptive or harmful to ones to more healthy behaviors is so much more difficult. So I want to acknowledge that. But we also considered eating and disordered eating on a spectrum with eating disorders being the most severe form. And then disordered eating can range along the spectrum. A lot of us would say anybody who has had been on a diet before or has really put in a lot of effort to change their body shape or size. And by saying a lot of effort, I mean, would say has ever had experiences with um, counting anything as it relates to food or tracking anything as it relates to food, uh, we would still put on a disordered category. But certainly um, folks who've had repeat experiences of dieting, um, weight cycling, uh, different experiences like that over and over, we would still put in that disordered eating category. And so that might leave you the question of like, isn't that most everybody? Yes. (laughs) Yep. That was the follow-up question. (laughs) Isn't that every woman I've ever met in my life? Your entire life. And sadly, that's true. And so I actually have a mentor that says, uh, Julie Duffy Dillon, and she's saving America from its own eating disorder is a phrase that she used for a long time uh, because it's you mentioned a little bit about my nutrition philosophy and we were never supposed to have this contentious relationship with food that we have yeah. uh, that has come from a lot of external cues and experiences around us and a lot of the information that comes at us that there shouldn't have ever been this internal tension with food that a lot of us have gone through our lives experiencing Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to dig into that a little bit more here in a minute. Can you also use the term non-disordered eating? And can you explain where that is on the spectrum? That would be somebody who really does not give a lot of time and energy to food and body related issues. And so I talk about a pie chart with my clients a lot of times. And so if I tell them to write down name things that are important to you in your life, the things that you think about, the things that occupy your time and energy. And so that might be like school, work, family, faith, you know, food, you know, body, so on and so forth. And I'm like, okay, take those and like food and body, how much of that what percentage of the pie chart does it take up? And they'll be like, that takes up like most of it. I feel like I'm thinking about food in my body every day yeah. uh, and throughout the day. And I said, look, it should take a portion of it. And with folks that, that aren't experiencing disordered eating behaviors, you know, food deserves some of our time and attention and that we need to think about it, plan for it, procure it put it together. We need to consume it. We might be thinking of looking forward to a meal that we're going to enjoy or an eating experience we're going to enjoy. We need to make some sort of plans in order to move our bodies and take care of it and set some time aside for that. However, it shouldn't be mental Jenga game every single day, Yeah, you know, of moving the pieces around. And so when somebody They've lived in our culture and have been able to experience this and maybe grew up in a very healthy food and body environment and and aren't as impacted by some of these messages, then uh, food is, you know, not something that is they're, they're experiencing that same tension with and with body. Yeah, this is so interesting. And this idea of the spectrum. And I think if you've ever, if you've been on the spectrum from between eating disorder and disordered eating, and you maybe have moved toward non disordered eating, it's interesting. I love that you use the term mental Jenga, because I found myself So like I said, I've definitely been in this place of disordered eating at different times in my life. And it's interesting, the pieces that you leave behind, and then the pieces that where you're like, I used to be that way, but now I'm not. And then things creep in. And an example is recently, my husband wanted to order Thai food for dinner. And when we get Thai food, it's like, it's just a bunch of salty noodles, which I love. But first of all, it doesn't make me feel very good. And I want to like take a nap immediately afterwards. But I also that particular day, I was like, oh, but I already ate this other thing that day that was like, my kind of indulgent meal. And I was like, well, we can't like also already order Thai food. Like I got really stressed out about it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like we'll do Thai food another night. And I went to that place of mental Jenga around like, well, I can't have two meals that are like 
the salty, carb-heavy, like whatever thing in one day because I don't do that. And I realized in that moment, and he, we were getting annoyed with each other as we were kind of deciding, making this big, huge decision around where we're going to order takeout. And I caught myself in like, oh my gosh, like I still do have rules for myself that show up, even though I thought like I was, I don't do that anymore. So I think that's interesting that, and I want to ask you about negative relationships with food, because I think that we don't even recognize, like we might think that we're past that, or we used to do things like that. And I think especially for women who identify as feminists, and we want to like, really separate ourselves from diet culture and the patriarchy and all that, it still shows up. (laughs) And so can you talk about negative relationships with food and how that can show up even in people with non-disordered eating? Yeah. And I thought your example was so good. It really is a great example. But the difference right now is that you're able to like name it for what it is, you know, and then make a decision if you're going to even go with that or not. Right. And be able to say like, those are some old rules. That's some old external information that, you know, I don't need to use anymore. It doesn't serve me. And so I think that it is difficult for anybody to rid all of these messages from themselves for forever and ever and amen. And it's how we respond to them, you know, as they come up. And so when when we're hearing rules that mean like we're doing mental Jenga, like how does this fit into my day? Like you said, I already had this other meal that I wouldn't have put with salty noodles, you know, at another time, you know, or it can also sound like, you know, I need to do this movement in order to make up for this larger meal that I had, right? Yes, in order to earn it or like earn it in advance of eating it or burn it off post eating it. That's a huge one, which I lived like that for many, many years. Like that is one thing I've caught, like really been able to consistently break. So I love that example, though, because I think that's really relatable. It does. And it can also show up in having to feel like you need to eat similar foods or similar types of meals every single day, anything that feels somewhat rigid. And so a lot of folks will say like, if I eat this way, this is just kind of safe. And then I don't have to think about it. Right. Yes. And so you see similar representations at different meal times, and they may sometimes even the exact same thing over and over again. And there's really limited variety. You're totally describing me. literally the same breakfast. I'll eat the same breakfast every day for seven years and then be like, hmm, maybe I could try something different. But I'm like, I don't know, this is working and I don't have to think about it. And it is, it does come from that place of like knowing that it works, knowing that like, this is what works for my body right now. And I don't want to think about it. But there is that connection to like, well, but if I eat this, it's not like, I don't have to think about, well, should I have a, do I want to have a donut with it kind of a thing? Cause I just know that like, this is what I do and I do it every day and I don't have to think about it. So I totally relate to that. Yeah. If something different is a little bit anxiety provoking or feels exhausting because it feels like a thing to like figure out yes. versus like, gosh, I just really love my two waffles with syrup, eggs and, you know, bacon in the morning. And, and somebody's like, that's just, it's delights me every day. You're like, I could eat something else and I will, and it's fine. But, you know, versus this is just <laughs> easy, safe. I'm going to go through the motions with this meal. And then that way I don't have to do, you don't have to do, you can avoid mental Jenga that way. Correct. And so, um, negative relationships with food also look like any good or bad language. You know, I'm being good today or I'm being bad today. I'm cheating, guilty pleasure. Um, A lot of the language that we see used in the media to describe food or ways of eating. Gosh, anytime I get around any sort of potluck meal situation (laughs) with other people, I, there's all that chatter going on, you know, yes, I'm being good today, or don't look at me, I'm being bad. Don't look at what I'm putting on my plate, you know, and any of that language, I would say constitutes negative relationship with food. And we really, diet culture really swoops in with like a moral component, because it's not just that the food is good or bad, it's the event I'm being, you know, good or bad based on what I'm eating. And we can really kind of internalize that in ways we don't even recognize until we start to parse them apart that can really lead to some significant guilt and shame um, that really can keep us from showing up well in all areas of our lives. Yeah. Can you talk about intuitive eating? So what is intuitive eating and how does it differ from popular eating plans? And I feel like, and these are 
when I was in the fitness industry, a lot of people, and this is still very present, a lot of people were constantly trying things that were polar opposites. Like, I'm going to go vegan for 2021, or I'm going to go paleo for 2021, or I'm going to go keto, or like people were always trying to find a formula, a mold, some like a, a structure that would work. And intuitive eating is really different than that. So can you explain what it is and how it works for people? Intuitive eating is based on a philosophy that we do have some inner know, and there is wisdom that our bodies hold as it relates to what and how much and how often we need to eat. And if you think about like a baby, I always use this example, think about a baby. I mean, how do we know a baby needs to eat? If they cry. (laughs) Exactly. And then like, how do we know they're done? I cry too when I'm hungry. (laughs) Like not tears, but I mean, there's a noticeable mood fluctuation. (laughs) And a baby just stops eating. And so they're just responding to these internal cues we've always had that we were born with this innate, like, how does a baby know? Is it, are they supposed to follow keto and eat six meals a day or whatever, you know, rules are going on, right? Right. And they certainly don't follow the after nine o'clock or seven o'clock or whatever time rule is being put out at the time for eating in the evening. Right. So, you know, we were born with an internal no. And then external cues start pretty early on. And internal cues, we can also see a lot in our toddlers. And this is where I'm also going to start with like external cues, but like our toddlers will sometimes eat tons of food at one time. We're like, I don't understand how that fits in your body. And then there'll be other times where they're just picking and we're worried about if they're going to grow well enough. And they really are just following what they experience going on in their bodies. And then, you know, external cues for many of us can start early on. You know, if any of us grew up in households where it was a clean plate club household or a eat, make sure you eat all of this and then you can have dessert. You know, a lot of these things start to tell us like, well, if I eat all of that, a toddler might be thinking or a preschooler might be thinking, then I'm going to be full, but I still want the dessert because my mouth tells me I want the dessert. My taste buds tell me I still want that, but my tummy's not going to say that it wants it. And so we, we're cleaning a plate when we've already reached the point of fullness or no, you can't have another helping of that because that's this type of food, like a bread or something that maybe we have our own food issues about. And suddenly, you know, listen to your body is not part of the conversation. And so this idea of like, well, I want to stop because my stomach feels full or I need to keep eating. And so we kind of internalize this a long way. And then we start receiving media messages and so on and so forth that take us away from this internal no and actually encourage us not to trust our bodies as it relates to this. So if you're supposed to eat so many meals per day or have points and follow points, it's like, well, what do you do if you get to the end of the day and you're still hungry? Are you supposed to ignore that? Or what do you get to do at the end of the day and you've got extra points left and you don't, you're not hungry for them? Right. So none of it really communicates a message. Diet culture doesn't ever communicate a message that it's okay to trust our bodies, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So important. It's so interesting. I talk a lot about self-trust and I think women really struggle with self-trust in all areas of their life, not even just as it relates to food, but I think we struggle with self-trust in many, many ways. But I think it really starts with this messaging that we get when we're really, really little around food, around like not not being, I think it's around food and around body autonomy. Like you need to go sit on that person's lap and hug that person. And like all these little things where instead of having the, this a moment to check in with ourselves, we're being told like, go do that, go do that and ignore instinctual needs and instinctual messaging in order to do what someone else is telling you to do. Absolutely. The overlap with consent and things like that are, and like you said, body autonomy are, you know, it's very similar. It always, what it makes me think about. And, you know, we're just now beginning to learn some of these things too, of like, maybe we shouldn't be, you know, enforcing these certain things. And I also want to say that any parent that has practiced that way, or our parents who've practiced that way, certainly were never ill-meaning, right? Right. I mean, it was always came from a standpoint of trying to do what's best. But, you know, intuitive eating, you know, all along the way kind of leaves in fostering from a young age, even, but we can return to that as adults who have 
absorbed a lot of these external messages for so long. And you'd ask how it differs from popular eating plans. And that's how intuitive eating differs is that there are no good and bad foods. I always say from cake to kale, all foods are important, not just good, but they're important. I think they're important parts of the diet. And that popular eating plans or not so popular eating plans or anything that tends to categorize foods or include limitations that don't take the body into account, they're going to be pushing against this idea of there's an internal wisdom and that our body knows, you know, what it needs. But we can connect back to that with more intuitive eating practices. Not that there aren't some things to overcome or that will still come up, just like you had expressed so wonderfully before, but it is totally possible. Mamas, before we dive deeper with Megan, I want to tell you a little bit about Momentum Mamas because enrollment is open right now and enrollment only opens from Momentum Mamas a couple times a year and I don't want you to miss it. So if you're not familiar, Momentum Mamas is my membership community where you sign up for a 12-month program and within that program, you get to join me weekly for group coaching. You get a Facebook community that is ridiculously supportive and fun and engaging. And you also get to learn and grow in ways that you can't learn and grow in very many other places. And so I want you to think about a couple things. I want you to think about what if you could feel hopeful even though we are living through this relentless pandemic? What if you could feel grounded even though the world feels so unpredictable? What if you could find joy every day even though things are hard and heavy? What if you could take time for you each day even though a million people need you? What if you could build deep relationships with other moms even though you can't meet in person right now? What if you could wake up feeling confident every single day that you have control over your day, even though you have a to-do list that is a mile long? What would all that mean? What would that feel like? How would that change the course of your days and weeks and months if there could be those shifts in feeling hopeful and grounded and finding joy and taking time just for you and building that confidence and having deeper relationships? All of that is possible. And that is what we focus on in Momentum Mamas. So if you are craving any or all of the things I just mentioned, I want you to come check out Momentum Mamas and see if it might be a good fit for you right now. This is a program that is a sacred and safe and inclusive and transformational space for women to connect and learn and grow, for you to find time to spend time just focusing on you and what's important to you once a week where we come together, we meet for group coaching, and you get to listen and learn and connect with other moms, and then go about your week in a way that feels powerful and that is actually transformational every single week. Now, if you don't get to join us live each week, know that everything is always recorded, so you can really take the whole program at a pace that is whatever you need on any given day, but you also have many opportunities to jump on and join us live every single week. So here is what I want to share with you from one of our mamas who recently spent two years in our program. So Dana has this to say, she says, I joined Momentum Mamas after listening to Sarah's podcast for several months. While listening to the podcast, I felt like Sarah was my friend in my head, and I wondered how joining her group and interacting would be. The experience blew even my vague expectations away. I connected with Sarah and her team and a group of women on Zoom and Facebook and Marco Polo, and I felt inspired to dream bigger than ever possible and was given practical step-by-step guidance to move forward toward my dreams. I'm so grateful for believing in myself enough to join Momentum Mamas. If you're on the fence or wondering if this is the right fit, know that this is an inclusive, safe place for you to grow into your best self. So Dana is a mom. She lives in the Bay Area. She's a pediatrician. She's an all-around badass, and that was her experience in our community. If that resonates with you and that sounds like something that could benefit you, come check us out. So you can just go to shamelessmom.com slash momentum, get all the information on the program. Enrollment is only open for a few days this week. So don't miss out. Enrollment closes on Friday, January 29th, 2021. Pop over to shamelessmom.com slash momentum to get all the deets. And I would love, love, love to have you join us. Okay, before we get into some of those actual tips around stepping toward eating in a more intuitive way, something that I see, and it's actually come up in my communities recently, in my membership communities that are a little more private than our public community here in the Shameless Mom Academy, is emotional eating and binge eating. And I think that this is something, I think there's more attention on some of the disordered eating habits and eating disorders that make us small and or goal oriented in the direction of making us small. So restrictive habits versus 
where we're being over consuming. So I'm thinking of emotional eating, binge eating and things where we're over consuming instead of under consuming. And I've heard multiple women, and this is also something that came up when I had my fitness business, many women in their like 40s to 50s who finally come to this realization that they have that they really struggle with managing quantity around food and that that's something that's been ongoing, but they've never really identified it as an eating disorder or even disordered eating. And now they're recognizing like, oh, wow, this is like taking up a lot of space in my life. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So restriction is the number one predictor of binge eating behavior Mm. or eating past the point of fullness. And a lot of times I don't even like, if I use overeating, I'm like ever, I'm using air quotes because you know, is it overeating if you're making up for nutrients that your body needed and didn't get at some point? And so it's usually a making up situation. And that's a lot of what binge eating and experiences of this, like I'm coming in the door and I need to get dinner started, but I am like famished and I'm going to reach, I need to reach for the crackers or the jelly beans and the this and then this and to get it into my body because I'm hungry. And then the actual binge experience itself, if it's a true binge experience, a lot of times, you know, there's a component of needing to check out Mm. with food and escape for a time. And something that's always present, though, and including a lot of times in really emotional eating experiences is some sort of restriction and belief about good and bad foods, because it really charges up these foods. It's like putting your kids in a room with a bunch of toys and there's one in the middle that lights up and is amazing. And you're like, you can play with whatever you want in here, but do not play with that toy. And when we deem foods as good and bad, we deem foods, certain foods as off limits, you know, it really charges those foods up so that when we do play with them, we go big, especially because we're not certain if we're going to take them away from us at a later date. Like it's always been an unstable relationship, right? Tomorrow, I won't eat this. Tomorrow, it will go back on the shelf. You know, tomorrow, I'm throwing it all. I'm either eating it all or throwing it all away tonight. Mm. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And so restriction is always the momentum driver behind that. There's some other components, but you and I could do like a whole talk just on. (laughs) Yeah. And then the concept of emotional eating you know, is to me, this is not an issue in and of itself. I mean, we eat birthday cake, that's emotional eating too, right? Um, In coping with food, I mean, food can always be a tool in the toolbox as far as I'm concerned. It's just that when it becomes problematic for that person, when it's the only tool that they have, and they've decided that they want more tools, 
when it's a tool that they feel like, gosh, I am never connecting with my emotions. And you know, this doesn't have to be food. We all know that this could be anything. And I need a better way to feel my feelings. Then when that person has decided that it's a problem for them, then things could be work on it. But I had a rough day and I want to crunch on some chips because I'm stressed. You know, that's, I don't discourage that personally. I don't think that, I think that discouragement of some of those experiences can be harmful. I think that we've been given food that can also be comforting. And I think that's an amazing thing. You know, a grilled cheese and tomato basil soup Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the end of a long, hard day, you know, for me is comforting. And I think it's beautiful that a food can do that for us. Because for many of us, that can be a really accessible experience, you know, to have. Oh my gosh, I feel like so many people just exhaled. <laughs> because the way that you just described that is so much permission in the way you just described that I think that women don't often give themselves. Instead, it's we frame something comforting as this like indulgence or quote unquote treat that we've earned because something was hard versus a form of nourishment that's important on a hard day. And I think that's a really important distinction, a really beautiful distinction that we all deserve, that we don't have to earn, that we just deserve to like have something that comforts us if we've had a hard day. Absolutely. And that can be food. And that's what diet culture has done is created a, well, you're bad if you eat this food or you're bad if you enjoy food in this way. And the food is fuel mentality really strips down food. It's kind of such a gross oversimplification because of course food is fuel for all of us. And we can experience energy in our bodies by learning what foods make our bodies experience energy and the way that we eat them. And I love doing that work with clients. And, you know, it's so much more if we're just the only thing that we're going to food for is for energy, we're missing out on its brilliance in the way it tastes and appears and the way we can fellowship and connect over it. It's such an essential part of so many cultures that I hate to see it readied down to just fuel by our diet culture so often. Yeah. So how can we start taking steps toward intuitive eating? Where does this begin? Where does it begin? (laughs) I think that somebody that's listening on the other end of this, that I would say, um, make sure that you're getting enough to eat. I would start by just noticing with curiosity what's going on in your body throughout the day and try to connect with it just a little bit more. Are you eating every time you're hungry? Notice what hunger feels in your body. I always ask clients, like, what does hunger feel like in your body? How do you experience hunger? And they're like, what? (laughs) And what is hunger? Hunger is our body's way of communicating to us that it needs energy. I mean, it's just talking to us. And so what does it feel like? Is it an emptiness in your stomach? Is it a grumbling? And start responding to that with food. And try to simply ask yourself the question of what do I want and what do I need? If you're in a, a space where you have choices, Try to connect with it is that you actually want what feels like would satisfy that hunger. And then if you're somebody who has maybe been following certain eating plans and you're like, hunger, what? Like, I'm pretty sure I don't experience that. There's something wrong with me. There's not. That's super common when we haven't been having this conversation with our body for very long. I always say, like, if if you had a coworker that you were leaning over and you were trying to talk to every day and, you know, tell your funny jokes to or whatever, and they just didn't even look at you and didn't respond, you would eventually stop talking to them. And so if we're not in practice of honoring our hunger, our body will eventually stop doing a lot of those earlier cues, it'll eventually give us the hangry headache ones, mm-hmm. you know, those types of things. It'll eventually shout at us. But those earlier conversation ones, it's like the coworker, like if you really needed something, you would bother them again. But otherwise, you're not going to try to chat with. And so in those cases, if those hunger cues aren't there, I say, look for those spots where you're going five hours or more in between eating occasions. Just notice those and see what would happen if you popped like a snack in the middle of those or adjusted those a little bit and see if you start to notice something different energy wise in your body, if you start having more energy. Can I use myself as an example here real quick? Please. Because I'm definitely someone who 
has learned to ignore hunger cues or delay hunger mm-hmm. cues. I don't know if delay, but just like delay eating in spite of cues. <laughs> and it's a combination of a few things that comes from many years of being like very rigid and like a rule follower with my own made up rules <laughs> around food. And then it also comes from being someone who's really, I guess, like action oriented. So I'm like, well, I need to finish these three things first. And so even in my work day, in normal life, when my child's at school, my all think like, well, but I have to get like these things done on the to do list before I go eat lunch. And so if that means I don't eat lunch till three, then that means I don't eat lunch till three, because I need to get these other three things done. And then like, I'm using lunch as like my reward for congratulations, you got your to do list done first. And so I've had to really check in and notice Like you're really cranky doing the last thing on this to-do list because you've decided that you have this weird rule that you can't eat lunch until, and I don't think of it as like a diet thing as much as this is just like my achievement mindset, (laughs) like getting things done, but it's really unhealthy conditioning around food. Yeah. Sarah, you're not alone. Like I've heard all of what you're saying before. And sometimes too, it can be anxiety provoking to stop and take a break with food right? When you've got these other things that you need to get done. And so it's really one that if somebody chooses, they want to be different in their lives that they can, they have to be really intentional about and say like, I'm going to set an alarm and I'm even going to set an alarm that I'm going to give myself for 15 minutes to eat, you know, and that I'm going to do this because then I can tell myself, well, gosh, it's just like 15 minutes at the end of the day. If I don't get to those three things for 15 minutes, like, is that going to ruin anything? Right. And creating that space and a break for ourselves for food to be more important. That experience of like, I have to get these other things done. You're right. It doesn't feel as diet culture but it is this, you know, like you said, a little bit of a reward mentality. Mm-hmm. Or like earning food kind of a thing, which is diet culture. And it's over, <laughs> it goes back to that self-trust thing where instead of like listening to be like, oh, your body's saying it's hungry and you're super cranky right now and you're annoyed with your to-do list that's your body telling you something. And so it does like it's that it's a really interesting connection because it's connected. And I think that I've, it's taken me a while to put that together. (laughs) Yeah. So that's one of the places I would encourage somebody to start is to start kind of taking inventory and noticing, you know, am I honoring my hunger? Am I not? Am I ever experiencing hunger? You know, making sure that you're getting enough to eat. And I knew when, when people hear me say that, they're going to be like, oh, I eat too much. That's not my problem. Well, a lot of times, you know, is this what's going on throughout the day? You know, like what's happening throughout the day? Try non-judgmentally to approach it. And then the other thing I would say is when you're choosing what to eat, you know, noticing the good and bad language, like noticing like you did that you notice that rule about like, well, I can't have that. Well, really, why can't I have that? You know, and saying, you know, what is it that would actually really sound good to me right now and challenge yourself, like notice what's coming up, like, what are you bumping up against? If that feels challenging to just be able to have what it is that you want. And one of the things that does separate intuitive eating from other you know, popular eating plans is that intuitive eating can take some energy to become reacquainted with. But once you acquaint yourself with intuitive eating, that lasts for life. Yeah. You know, your metabolism changes, your energy need change. As we age into life, being able to connect with what your body needs will not mislead you. Like that's it. There's no new plan you have to follow for the rest of your life. And the energy that goes into that is so much less and so much more appropriate, which frees you up to pay more attention to some other things that matter or leaves you feeling better doing all these tasks that we're doing throughout the day. Yes. Like you can be more patient and more positive and more (laughs) present with your children (laughs) instead of having a mild headache at all times. (laughs) Yes. And those three final things that you were mentioning earlier might get done faster, better, you know, or certainly just the, the way you're moving through that space the way we're moving through the space can feel better. Yeah. I want to talk about being healthy in air quotes. (laughs) So diet culture is so filled with this idea of like, but just in order to be healthy. And then we see we have people in our lives and relatives and people who are concerned about our health if we gain weight. And it's that's not what it is. Like that's a bunch of BS. <laughs> and so can you talk about messages promoting being healthy that are actually just diet culture messages? How do we catch these messages and call out the messages and the messengers? 
Yeah. So one of the things that I think can help identify if something is actually a diet is a what is it? Wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. Because <laughs> there's a lot of that now because the diet culture has adapted itself and is even trying to use language that a lot of us non-diet practitioners are using. But we're like, it's still, so it gets very confusing for an individual out there. And, but still, if the purpose of it or success is determined or the goal is to change your body size or shape, like that's the driving motivator behind it, right? Like that's the intention behind the changes. It's a diet and it has implications because there's always some restriction or so on and so forth. Or if the body change in shape or size does not happen, then a person's more likely to abandon those behaviors anyway, because that's the primary motivator. Well, that this is not working then. And even if the person felt better <laughs> with whatever it was they were doing, it's still the primary motivator. And so, so often weight loss is conflated with health or weight is conflated with health. And we just have more and more and more evidence that somebody's body shape or size, you cannot determine their health alone from that point alone. So somebody in a larger body can still be healthy and somebody in a smaller body may be unhealthy, may not be experiencing health. And we're, there's something called BMI profiling. And because the body mass index is being used for individual assessment for health, which it was never even validated to do so, by the way, like I even learned that in graduate school, like it's, it's not even. Valid. Oh my gosh. I recently learned, like, we don't have time to go into the whole history of the BMI, but I recently learned the actual history of the BMI, like where it came from. I was like, this is. <laughs> so ridiculous. I'm so offended. <laughs> this is a thing. Like I was already offended by it. Now I'm like angry and offended. <laughs> it is. We call it the bullshit meter index. Yes. Oh my gosh. Totally. Because weight is giving so much focus, we're missing the opportunity to help folks in smaller bodies implement things in their lives because that, that would might make them feel great and be healthier and take care of themselves. And we are misdiagnosing folks that are in larger bodies and naming them as unhealthy when they may be doing like really taking care of themselves, like moving regularly on a way that may, that feels good to their body, you know, eating in a balanced way, you know, that feels good in their body. They may be sleeping well and taking care of their mental health and uh, have great labs. And somebody's still going to say, you know, you're too fat, you need to lose weight or you're not healthy. And more and more evidence supports that, you know, folks in larger bodies Actually, <laughs> folks that fall in that BMI category of between 25 and 30 are living longer in our country than folks that fall into the BMI category of the 18 to 24 and the folks that fall in the 25 or the 30 to, to 35, which the folks in the 30 to 35 and the folks in the 20 to 25, they live about the same in their life, their longevity is very similar. It's like a you with the folks in, in that fit in this overweight, I'm using air quotes here category. They're living the longest. Super interesting. Like I, because I have read some research on that as well. And I was like, this is amazing. And like, let's talk more about this. And let's like really publicize and really embrace two pieces of it that body, that bigger bodies can 100% be healthy bodies. And you actually might live longer because you are in a healthier body. And, and we have numbers and research to back that up. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's how you can recognize when certain plans are saying like healthy, or you, if you lose some weight, you'll be healthier, so on and so forth. Well, it's not the weight that makes somebody healthy. It's the overall, there's a lot of factors that are better determinants of health, that when we look at those, regardless of body shape or size, that you know, individuals, I want to turn their attention more to relying on those for health and taking care of themselves. So when it's being conflated together, then weight loss or changing your body weight equals health, then that's an indicator. This is not actually a health promoting program. They don't get it yet. Yeah. Okay. I know we're running tight on time here. I want to ask you what it looks like when someone chooses 
not to diet or focus on changing their body anymore? What is the freedom that comes with that? And how have you seen that play out with your uh, patients and clients? More energy to focus on what matters. Yes. It really does. And in a lot of different ways in life. And I'll give you a couple of quick, simple examples is I had a mom one time (laughs) tell me that she made the first like peanut butter and jelly sandwich for a preschooler because she's like, is the first time I could leave bread in my house, you know, and clients that are feeling like they are having more intimate relationships sexually with their partners, because they're starting to accept their bodies more. And they're allowing that to be a barrier. You know, there is a lot of life that can be lived in any size body, but diet culture will tell you if you lose this weight, then you will like these certain things in your life will come back in order. But when somebody works on body acceptance and eating um, in an intuitive way, then they experience that they can do those things now, like they don't have to wait you know, they don't have to wait to, you know, go on a cruise or go to graduate school or start a business or do these different things or show up on social media to promote their business or themselves and for their body to be different for that to happen. I love it. And I totally, totally agree. I think that's so important and so powerful. Oh my gosh, Megan, this has been so good. Okay. I want to know in what ways you are currently showing up as a shameless mom. I am showing up as a shameless mom by recognizing that I have needs and asking for help in order to have them met. And this has been in particular for me right now is being having time to myself, which is just really at a premium right now. Like I'm usually with, (laughs) with my clients or at home with my people. And I have really experienced that I change as a human and not in a positive way when I don't have sense of time just to myself. I totally agree. Uninterrupted. And so I have really most recently I've been suffering and I've had to ask my husband, you know, can you give me three hours on Saturday morning in the house by myself? Mm -hmm. And that has taken a lot for me to ask and not because he's hugely supportive. I mean, that was no big deal, but it's like, why do I have to have needs? (laughs) Why can't I just, (laughs) why is this what I need in order to feel better? But that time that I've been asking for most recently has, I felt like helped me come out of kind of a hole and feel like I'm so much more present with my kids and, and my husband. And so I'm more of a human that way. And I am learning that I need to ask for that on a regular rhythm, especially right now. Oh my gosh. I love it. I went to Target yesterday for three hours by myself and I swear it was my favorite day of 2020. And my husband, when I got home, he's like, it seems like you had a really good time. I was literally like high on life for the rest of the day. I was like, this has been the best day ever. Like nothing can go wrong now. I, I was like, how was going to Target alone for three hours a religious experience. (laughs) So this is exactly it though. It's having time alone and personal time where you're like, I don't have to give to anyone. I'm just going to wander around Target and like throw goofy Christmas sweaters in my cart without thinking about it. (laughs) Yes. Just be alone in my head. (laughs) Yes. Oh, so great. I love it. Okay. Megan, where can listeners find you, connect with you, um, utilize your services, all the good stuff? Yes. So people can find us on Instagram at nutrition is simple. And we post like a five minute or less short little video each week. So that is a great place to be able to connect with our content. You can also find us on Facebook. It's um, simple nutrition, or I think SN counseling. And we also put out every single month a list of favorite resources. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I kind of want to learn more about this, or I've learned about this some, but I'd love to continue my journey. um, We send out like this favorites list. It's our Fork the Food Rules newsletter. I love the name, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) This is our Things We Forking Love list. And it just is kind of a quick and dirty, like things that we vetted, like listen to this podcast episode, check out this article, follow this person on Instagram. I always love to throw out a couple recipes because that I'm cooking in my house at that time that are family favorites because I love to cook. And we put that content out so people can continue to hear and listen and see things that are going to help them 
be more positive about their bodies, more intuitive with their food, and help kind of push back on diet culture. So it's a great, great, great resource. And you can get that at www.forkthefoodrolls.com. Um, and it's like forward slash things we forking love. Okay, adding that to my list here, forkthefoodrules.com and then slash things we forking love. Yep. Okay. So I will have that all linked up in the show notes. Oh my goodness. So many great resources. So that will be linked up in the show notes. If you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Megan Hadley, you can get all those resources. Megan, thank you. This has been such a fun conversation. I appreciate you letting me insert my own experiences and examples in here. Um, I hope that was all helpful for the listeners. I know I really appreciated being able to have conversation about that and around that. So Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. It's important and transformational in so many powerful ways. Thank you so much for having me. I loved having this conversation. And I think that everything, all the personal experiences you brought, I have to imagine are so validating for your listeners. Yes, that's the hope. (laughs) Always be the example, right? (laughs) Thank you so much, Megan. Okay, mamas, before I let you go, final reminder that enrollment is open for Momentum Mamas for just a couple more days, and I don't want you to miss out because I don't know when I'm opening it up again. So if you are ready to discover the proven path that so many other shameless moms have taken to step into your power, to cultivate the courage and the confidence that you crave, and to get more of what you want every damn day, please come join us. Join us by going to shamelessmom.com slash momentum, and you will get all the information. That's shamelessmom.com slash momentum. Can't wait to see you inside Momentum Mamas. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here, and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.